Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Maria, what is the first brand you remember in your life as a young girl making an impact on you? Levi's. And only because... When my father told my mom and I that we were going to America, I asked him, what is it about America that fascinates you? And he goes, rock and roll and Levi's jeans. (laughs) I like that. I'd probably answer it the same way. (laughs) So I just, I landed in America and all I thought of was rock and roll and Levi's jeans. (laughs) Hi, I'm Jim Stengel and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. This is a special episode of the CMO Podcast. Today, we take an inside look at sports marketing. We look at how a world-class athlete works with a brand and the special role of a sports agent. The brand today is Evian, and the athlete is tennis superstar Maria Sharapova. We're joined today by Prince Pinnacat, SVP, Global Head of Danone Waters, Max Eisenbud, Head of Clients and SVP at IMG Tennis, and Maria Sharapova, a five-time Grand Slam winner and a former number one ranked female tennis player. We begin the story by looking at endorsements from the brand perspective. Our first guest is Prince Pinnacott, SVP, Global Head of Danone Waters, which owns Evian, of course, the French natural spring water giant founded in the 1800s. Here's my chat with Prince Pinnacott. Now, we're here to talk about sports and marketing and brands, but first, your career path is very, can I say, fluid, right? <laughs> there's, there's, <laughs> there's lots of beverages in there. You were at Coca-Cola for many years, uh, Vita Coco, and now Danone Waters, and even a bit of a time at a distillery. So as you look back on this career path, and we're here to talk about partnerships and sponsorships as well, what's the first partnership that you remember putting together very early in your career? The very first partnership that I put together was um, I was working at my previous beverage employer uh, and I was working on the brand Coca-Cola Light. And we did a partnership with MasterCard. And the idea was uh, around a limited edition bottle that happened to be silver and uh, MasterCard launching a new silver credit card. And it was the, kind of the perfect thing coming together on the, on a, you know, from a values point of view, from a story point of view. Uh, Looking back 21 years later, back then it made sense. Nowadays, it feels a bit you know, outdated. But that was the very first partnership where it was really about lining two big brands uh, on a program. And that was at the Coca-Cola company. You were there for 13 years. And part of that, you were the global marketing director of Alliances and Ventures. 
that must have been, you must have worked an awful lot of partnerships at, in that yes. role. And that must have been an, a defining experience for how, you know, the principles that you learn that make partnerships successful. So I'd love for you, Prince, to reflect on that time at Coca-Cola and, and what, what was your key learning? What were some of the principles that you took from that formative experience that you carry forward today? The most important learning out of that time and experience was to ensure that aside from the business strategy and business interests uh, and the value exchange, that the alignment of values are there. That's the foundation for any working partnership. Uh, and then the second one, speaking as a, as a marketeer, short-term partnerships can give you a tactical lift, but the true power of a partnership comes through when you build it over time. And that requires a real alignment in values. How do you do that? How do you ensure that the values are aligned with an entity, a company, a person that you're going to work with? Looking at vision, looking at the mission, looking at what the person or the entity stands for, uh, what they're trying to achieve. And those, those layers paired up with yours, uh, it's not always the case that they're 100% line up. But if there's a broad alignment, then that's, the, that's a very good starting point. Usually the conversation starts, though, with the value exchange part. Hey, I need to boost this and I need revenue there. Um, but, and it's a good starting point. But uh, I think the important piece is really value on the foundational level versus the value exchange piece. I know most of the time when you're working with you know, a celebrity, a famous person, a, a top athlete, there's an ecosystem around them, right? There's usually an agent, maybe a marketing agency. How do you work with the ecosystem to be sure that you know, the values of your brand, your company, and that, that celebrity or that sponsor are really, really aligned? Transparency. Transparency leading to trust making sure that you also understand what the counterpart needs, really. What is the counterpart looking for? Because uh, big brands sometimes believe the, the other partner, athlete, entity, agent, is just looking for money. And in many, many, many cases, that's not the case. So to really understand what is the value that the partner is looking for, and can I provide the value in return for what I'm looking for? And that is independent of the ecosystem, right? So that's, uh, I personally work really well with agents and managers and entities as much as with the athletes themselves. So there it's really about being transparent. What are you looking for? What can you offer? And understanding what does the other party uh, need? We are recording this interview during the US Open where your brand Evian is very prominent. I was just watching last night. It was Serena's first match. So it was a fabulous evening at the US Open. I wish I had been there. Uh, but Evian's been involved with tennis uh, for as long as I can remember. I don't know how many years, but a long time. And you've been involved with Maria Sharapova since 2010, so, so 12 years. So I'd love you to tell us a story of why this partnership with tennis first, and then more specifically with Maria, works so darn well for you because it is really longstanding. The answer is, is relatively straightforward. We have been uh, the chosen water brand, hydration brand for a lot of you know, people and athletes more specifically. And when it comes to tennis, uh, it's a very physical sport. And to ensure that you have a healthy hydration option at your hand is critical. So for us, uh, then looking at the audience, 
of tennis, uh, the players, uh, for us very quickly was, was, it was clear that, you know, there's an element that lines up very nicely with our brand, our product uh, around natural hydration in a competitive environment. So it, it kind of evolved into that kind of, uh, partnership. So as you rightly said, we've been in, on the tennis court for a while now, and not just in, in Wimbledon uh, or the U.S. Open, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, beyond that. Right. And uh, what I said earlier around partnerships, uh, Maria has been a phenomenal partner to us. Uh, and uh, in the way that when she was still playing, uh, being ambassador, lining up her values around, uh, of course, her performance, but also being herself. Um, and then beyond her active career, being a partner, advisor to us as well, as much as we are to her. So uh, that's the power of a true partnership that can even go beyond, you know, your actually active athlete career. You've been working with Maria for now 12 years, and that's a long time for a partnership with one person. And, and you said the long-term partnerships are the best ones. I'd like you to tell us a bit about the, you know, the, those 12 years, how you've kept it fresh, how you've kept it innovative, how you've kept it growing. I know you've woven sustainability and fashion into it, but I think it's a, it's a beautiful story of, of keeping a partnership uh, seeming like it's it's uh it's very 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 fresh and very new. So I'd love you to tell us the story of that and what others could learn from it. Um, the the key there was that we that we stayed true to who we are as a brand and that Maria stayed true to who she is. Um, so you mentioned fashion. To us, you know, we've been working with a lot of iconic fashion, you know, designers uh, over more than twelve years, as a matter of fact. And uh, whenever these topics come up, we also speak to Maria because she is passionate about the topic. Um, and uh, you mentioned sustainability. You know, we see ourselves as Evian, as Danone Waters, as a force in uh, serving our communities and improving their lives from a sustainability point of view. And that is also something that is very close to, to Maria's heart. So therefore, it was very natural for us whenever we have a plan, an idea, a program in our plans around these topics to also speak to her and, make sh- and, and see what her point of view is and how she could get involved. That's, that's just the, the principle of how we partner. Now, how do we keep it fresh and exciting is by bringing these partnerships, these ideas to life in a way that's relevant to our target audience. And that target audience has obviously evolved over the last 12 years. Uh, if you look at just the media landscape 12 years ago, there was no TikTok. Huh? Mm-hmm. So today we have to be in that uh, sphere and we have to bring these programs to life in a slightly different manner than we would have done you know, 12 years ago. And I think that's the, that's the opportunity to stay true to who we are. Maria stays true to who she is. And that value overlap brought to life on touch points and passion areas for the brand and her uh, in a way that it's relevant to today's audience. Give us a bit of the behind the scenes, Prince. I mean, how often with a, a long-term partner like Maria, how, how often would you talk? Would you meet? Would you, would you share ideas? Would you brainstorm? Uh, who's involved in that? Uh, and, you know, just how does, how does it really come to life within your organization and with her team? Um, uh, one point there related to the first question, how do you build and maintain long-term partnerships? Uh, the element of trust and transparency is to also make sure that while it's important to have an ecosystem, it's equally important to have a direct connection. So, you know, I have people on my team, uh, fantastic team members 
that ensure to check in with Maria and her team directly on a frequent basis to uh, update her on what's happening on our plans, even if she's not involved. So uh, I think that's part of the, the, the story, not to do an annual meeting to go over things, but to maintain a dialogue, right? So in that dialogue, then at some point in time, sometimes evolves into, oh, I have a great idea. I would love to be involved. Or that sounds great. Thank you for giving me a heads up. Will, will I see you in New York at the US Open? Yes. Oh, we have a great partnership with Rothy's there right now. I love it. Want to be part of it. And so on. So, so it's, it's, it becomes a really organic process. Of course, it's tied into our strategies and plans, but then the direct conversation is more organic. I love it. It's a beautiful principle for any team, right? Whether it's Indeed. a celebrity yes. or your own people, right? Exactly. I mean, tra- transparency, a continuous dialogue yeah. uh, usually is the best way to ensure, you know, something powerful and sustainable comes out of it. Yeah. Now, you've also brought other tennis stars into the partnership. You're working with Emma Raducanu and others as well. How do you give us some insight on how you make those choices? You said you align the values with the brand and the athlete. Mm-hmm or the celebrity, but anything else? I mean, you have a lot of choices, right? There's a lot of places you could go, and I, can't, I can only imagine how difficult that would be. But just give us some insight on how you do make those decisions, make those choices. To us, it's, it's, it goes clearly beyond you know, uh, the, the athlete's capabilities on the tennis court. Uh, there's, the key element is, as I said, values earlier, but there's also the element of cultural influence. Has that player been relevant to the culture of the sport or the culture uh, as a whole? Uh, do we see a future that we want to be part of uh, that we can, on the one hand, support in many ways because we do believe in what uh, Emma, for instance, is doing and stands for uh, as somebody who came onto the scene out of more or less nowhere but has always been, for instance, an Evian drinker because she grew up with <laughs> drinking Evian, seeing it on the court, and her passion for tennis, wanting to be part of it, was, was critical. At the same time, she has interests outside of tennis. Uh, fashion is one of them. So a, a great alignment there. But uh, most importantly, in that moment, we felt she will make a dent in culture. And she is making a dent in culture. And we believe we, 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 can, we can be part of that story and we can help her on the one hand. And she can help us to stay fresh, stay relevant, uh, and stay you know, contemporary. You're also the head, I mean, in addition to being interested in partnerships and having lots of experience, you're the global head of Danone Waters. So you oversee the marketing for all the brands, all types of marketing. I'd like you to speak about when you look at partnerships and sponsorships, how do you weigh the effectiveness of them? How do you, at the end of the day, decide where it fits in your budget and your priorities and within all elements of your integrated marketing plan. So just a little insight into how you make those calls, what percentage of your budget goes to these sorts of things, mm-hmm. alliances, partnerships, sponsorships. That's a very good question because it's one of the hardest things to you know, substantiate and justify uh, to come up with an uh, ROI calculation of Emma's value at a time where she was very new to mm-hmm. you know, three years down the road. Um, in, in, in general, it's about what is the business objective to start with? And how can the brand deliver against that business objective? And then how can an athlete or an entity help us deliver against that brand objective? So uh, those are the layers. And in that plan, how much do we want to uh, emphasize the equity element of the brand? And then that then defines how much of my percentage of budget goes against that part. 
So it becomes a relatively, at the, the, the first step is a relatively mundane mathematical exercise. But then the, the point comes to, uh, and it, I think it's a perfect time to show how uh, impactful and relevant uh, it can be when you actually invest or pay forward, pay it forward, so to speak. Because in a highly inflationary environment like right now, a brand like Evian, in, uh, a brand like Bonafont in Mexico, uh, a brand like Aqua in Indonesia, have been able to gain market share because we, the equity of the brand is strong enough to demand the price that we have to demand given the inflationary environment we are in. So that is to say that you know, the, the, the leaders that came before me made great decisions when they decided to sign somebody like Maria or Emma because they help us to build the equity that allow us today to demand a higher price for, for our brands. And that's across the board. So, but at the end of the day, it's really about uh, what is the business objective specifically and how can a brand A, brand B, brand C deliver against that broader than known water's objective and which brand qualifies would benefit from an athlete versus uh, a, a new pack innovation versus a renovation of the core. So those are the things we have to weigh. And a brand like Evian is probably more on the, let's make a bigger dent in culture uh, with an athlete or a musician or um, a fashion icon versus, you know, innovation on the product side because Evian is Evian. And you put performers together with athletes and you make videos about them, which, which are wonderful to watch. Yes. The Emma Dua Lipa videos, just so sweet. And I think it's a great way of showing also that uh, we didn't direct that, right? Because for us, it's important as I said, you know, it, it, authenticity and being their true selves. So we put them together in a room and said, play, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's tennis season. So we want to have uh, the theme is tennis. So you go because tennis players, athletes have to hydrate. And then that what you see was uh, them just having, a, having fun being themselves. Yeah. It was a blast. You could tell it was not, it was them. It was not directed, but it worked beautifully. Yeah. Hey, you, you're talking about the equity of these brands and especially Evian. And I would be remiss in the CMO podcast not to go there a bit. I know we're here to talk about partnerships today, but this is just one of the most amazing brands of the world. One of the most magical brands. I mean, it's been around as a source of water for what, 230 years or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's been an iconic brand on everyone's list for decades and decades and decades. So what could others learn? What non-obvious things could others learn from this just amazing brand building story? And your latest statement about it's maintained its price premium and its volume growth in the midst of very difficult economic times. That says everything. That's, at the end of the day, what the value of a brand is. It commands a price premium. And it has higher loyalty. I mean, that's what, that's what most economic definitions of a brand are. So what insights uh, from the folks that have come before you and from yourself on mm -hmm. this most incredible brand story? The most important piece for Evian is the, is, the, is, the, is the element of consistency in the way that we talk about our water, where it comes from, what the source is, why it's a superior product in itself. That's the element of consistency that we have maintained over the 200 years, as you mentioned. And the second part is to ensure we stay culturally relevant, uh, that the brand has a point of view and that the point of view links back to a, a true insight, a 
tension in society in our uh, in our audiences. Um, we, we touched on sustainability for a second. We are a B Corp. We always a B Corp. Uh, we are carbon neutral. We will use 100% recycled PET bottles by 2025. We're already almost at half of that goal that we have. We know that these are topics that are relevant to our audiences and that touch our brand directly. And to be at the forefront on this journey and talk transparently and credibly about them, not just as Evian, as Danone or as Danone Waters, but as a brand that has um, a flag bearer position in the industry is what uh, allows us uh, to, to grow, what enables us to grow. And uh, that happened 20 years ago when we had a different platform around the idea of live young and equally 100 years ago and 200 years ago when we came onto the market. So really staying true to the original water itself, what it does, where it comes from, keep, keep telling that story because uh, that's where then everything else stems from and making sure that what we do is relevant to you know today's times and really addresses concerns and tensions and insights that uh, that society and or consumers specifically have. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. You've had several jobs in your career, as all of us have. You seem very happy in this one, and it seems like you're having a lot of fun. What, what is it about this role, this company, this time that is, that is so um, energizing for you? Danone as a company is uh, phenomenal um, for, for a number of reasons. The, num- the first one being, you know, we have been intrinsically mission-led for 50 years now. There's a, this is the 50th anniversary of a famous speech that our CEO, Antoine um, Ribou, made uh, in 1972. And since then, we have the dual project where our responsibility not only lies in continuing to grow profitably, but also ensure that, uh, that we build and help uh, the society and communities that we live and operate in. And that's why we are, you know, as of a couple of weeks ago, 70% of our entire business is, is B Corp certified. Uh, we have very clear pledges with regards to sustainability. Um, so we are a truly mission-led company. It's in our bylaws, as a matter of fact. That's, that's the element that makes me proud to be a done owner. The second part is um, every single product essentially is essential to society, to people. You know, be it in our dairy division, be it our waters, a large part of our water business is about providing access to safe drinking water, uh, which is absolutely essential. And we've experienced the heat waves in large part of the world. Uh, and, and the fact that we are able to, to serve our communities in this time is, is something that is really important. Our uh, 
medical nutrition division. It doesn't get much more important, essential to society than uh, a division like that. So we're also at the forefront of the plant-based movement. So it's, it's who we are as a company, our culture, but also what we do that excites me. Um, and then there's obviously the, the 100,000 donors who are just a phenomenal bunch of people that work really well together, that are passionate about what we do and how we do it and uh, convey that spirit to the consumers, to our customers. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's very rewarding to be part of this team. You work with Maria for 12 years. Uh, she's a very special person involved in so many interesting things in her life post-tennis. Could you tell us a little bit of a story about, from your perspective as someone who works with her, as a company that works with her, what's so special about her as a partner, as a human being that is you know, part of your brand team, essentially? The fact that she acts like she's part of our brand team, hmm. right? I think that's part of the story why we continue the partnership. Uh, the fact that the energy, dedication that she brought to the tennis court that she's bringing to all her other endeavors, and that a lot of these endeavors really line up with what we are trying to achieve in society. Uh, and that's, that was the key for us to continue the partnership with her and be a proud member of her family as much as she's a member of our family. Prince, thank you for this great discussion and all the best to you. And I hope, uh, I hope you enjoy the US Open this year. I hope you get to go. Absolutely. I actually will be there next weekend. So yes, thank you very much, Jim, for your time as well. Really appreciate it. Now it's time to hear from the athlete herself. She's the Russian-born, five-time Grand Slam winning, former number one ranked female tennis star Maria Sharapova. This tennis phenom turned pro in 2001 at the age of 14. And after an almost 20-year star-studded career, she retired in 2020. This is my conversation with Maria Sharapova. Maria, welcome to the CMO Podcast. You have to know I'm a huge fan of tennis, of you. I've seen you play countless times on TV. I've actually seen you live at the French Open, at the U.S. Open, in Cincinnati, so it is a great honor to host you and to meet you on the CMO podcast. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. And, and I hope they were good performances. Yes. <laughs> Did that, you catch me on a good day? Always, always. Oh, well. I play tennis myself. I know. There well, are good I, days and bad days. That's very kind. They weren't always good days. No, you, you, were, you had a fabulous career and I enjoyed every minute of it. And I still am enjoying what you're doing with your life. And that's what we'll talk about on this podcast. We're recording this show, though, during the U.S. Open. And you've played a lot of great matches there. I've seen many of them. I'd like you to reflect what that was like when you first played at that venue, which I think was 2003. Yes. 19 years ago. Tell us about that experience. It must be amazing. Well, I I will start by saying that I was completely intimidated by New York City. So I my first experience um, in New York was as a little girl and my father and I, once we'd already landed in the United States, was about six years old. And um, a couple of years after that, we went up to New York for the very first time to meet a couple agents. So that was during the time when we had conversations of whether I'd be uh, managed by IMG WME. There were some um, individual agents out there and one specifically in New York City. And he flew us over and gave us the New York experience. And I remember um, getting back on the plane to Bradenton, Florida, because that was at the time where I was training. And I, I thought to myself, 
that city is way too much for me. <laughs> this is, I don't know what I signed up for, but this is, I, I don't see myself here. Um, well, little do I know many years later, um, I became to love the city and it is one of my favorite in the world um, to visit, to play in um, for so many reasons. Um, as an athlete, I, I felt like, although maybe the fans were, you know, they're, they're experiencing a tennis match for the first time, but I felt like they were an, a very enthusiastic sports fan and as an athlete and as an entertainer, mm-hmm. which I realized I was um, in later stages of my career, I just had this entirely new appreciation of what a New York fan is all about. And I loved it. And I fell in love with that experience. And the night match at the U S open became one of my favorite times to play. And as a, you know, as an eight, nine year old, I would have never imagined um, that my perspective would would shift like that. Well, you won it not not too many years later. So you adjusted very quickly. Well, I think I think I won it without really understanding the magnitude of, mm-hmm. of success and what it felt like. And I feel like uh, I don't know how, how you feel in, in your profession and, and in the way you go about life, but sometimes you don't really it doesn't hit you like your your moments of success, whether they're external or internal. They don't really hit you until later down the line where you look back and you really have a chance to just to feel that moment, um, without being in it, um, Mm -hmm. and to go back to how you felt and how the others um, that were close to you felt and how, what an impact it made. Um, but in the moment you're so overwhelmed. I still find that in my life today is I try as hard as I can to appreciate and, and to know that, wow, this, this moment right here is special, but it's usually a few days or a few weeks and sometimes a few years after where you realize how impactful and, and how extraordinary they were. Maria, you have had and still have so many roles in your life, right? Athlete, entrepreneur, brand partner, board member, and on and on. But mother. you were in, what's that? <laughs> and a mother. <laughs> I know, I was about to get to that. You're in a new role of like two months ago, right? I was like, yeah, you, you mentioned all these roles. And I was like, wait, in the, last, in the last nine months during pregnancy and in the last eight weeks of, of having this little child, that's been my biggest um, fulfilling role. So what's the biggest change in your life in the last eight weeks? Obviously you have a baby, but what, is, what mm. has been the biggest change? Well, an entirely new appreciation for parenthood and um, feeling of um, knowing how vulnerable and dependent, um, mm-hmm. you know, this little boy is on us. I think just um, changes your perspective on life. And I know so many parents say that, but it's really, really true. And having this caring for someone like like you do when it's your own child um, just changes so much at how you look at work, how you look at your family, how you, um, the decisions you make time management. I feel like time management has been, um, has been a big shift for me. Well, we're going to shift from babies to talking about sports brands and marketing. (laughs) So kind of an abrupt shift. Uh, you have, you know, over the course of your career, you've worked and continue to work with a lot of companies and brands, brands such as Nike, Tiffany, Porsche, Evian, to name a few. And I'd like us to start on this with if I could ask you, as I did about the tennis match in New York at the U.S. Open, can you think about the first partnership that you had as an athlete, the first brand that you began working with early in your career? I believe it is Nike mm-hmm. uh, on, on that meaningful uh, level. And, and I, no, and I, I do think that it was the, the, the first. I mean, it was a very small contract, and I was still 
I was still a junior. Um, and Nike signed me when I was about 11 years old, which is pretty crazy wow. to look back. But at, at that time, it wasn't much of a contract. It was um, just free clothes um, mm-hmm. and, and clothing that I would just float in because it was so large for me. They didn't have a, a junior collection at the time. So I would roll everything up and my mom would stitch it and cut it and put it all together, um, make it into Amazing. my size. Um, and then a couple of years after, I think I had uh, maybe a twenty-five or $50,000 contract, um, which, you know, at that time was, was a lot of money. It, it you know, supported a, a bit of travel, um, you know, the, the investment that a tennis player has to make in terms of equipment and practices and, you know, travel expenses for you and, and my father and, and a coach and all those little bits and pieces. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. You're one of, you know, now you're one of the most experienced athletes and celebrities and working with brands. So I'd like you to, by the way, I I talked earlier today to a senior executive at Danone Waters, which owns Evian, of course. Mm -hmm. And I asked him what his team says about working with you. And he said very quickly, Maria is simply part of the brand team, (laughs) which I thought, wow. That's very kind. We we just did something a a couple of weeks together. We were working on a project together and, uh, in my notes, it said that I'd been a brand ambassador for Evian for 12 years, which <laughs> it's a pretty significant um, number. And it just, it, it, you know, you, you go through an evolution together as a brand and, um, and as an individual, as an athlete and, and to do mm-hmm. it alongside each other through the great victories and, and through the very tough is, is very meaningful. And I, I think that's, so I'm, I'm glad that that's who you spoke to. Yeah, well, well, you've had it's you know, the water that I'm drinking yeah, now. Right. I see it for our listeners. Maria's having a nice <laughs> sip of Evian water. Nice I wish I had chilled. the same here. <laughs> so you, you've had you've had Evian and many other very productive and happy partnerships. I'd like you to riff a little bit about what are the conditions of a successful partnership. What what are the characteristics? What's it? What happens? What's it feel like? What's it look like when it's really really working? for you and for the company? It depends on which stage of your career you're at. When you're at a younger stage and you, know, you, you need the cash and you need the support mm-hmm. and it's your, your first checks that you're making in your career, it's incredibly significant. So you, you think of it as, wow, I have this support. I have a brand that's coming in and, and supporting me and giving me the opportunity for not just myself, for, for my family to have a little bit of a better life. And this is when you come from not having a lot of money um, to eventually, and, and obviously showing up at events, pre-grand slams, being being a face, as I call it, right? A very traditional type mm-hmm. of partnership. Um, and then you know, later that evolves into being a bit more involved and creative. Like I, I I love fashion and I love design. And I felt like through the years, um, Evian as a brand gave me the opportunity. They were more confident in my ability to share my my thoughts and and perspective on particular campaigns or the way that things should be shot just because I was gaining a little bit experience and, 
and just wanted to be involved and I wanted to learn and I wanted to explore. And these were, you know, this was the, the marketing geniuses behind many brands at Danon and Evian was part of it. And I wanted to sit in a room with them and just absorb everything I possibly could, just like with, with every other partner. And so I think the trust evolves and it goes from just being a, a check that supports you to, oh, okay, now you understand and you trust and, and oh, look, ultimately you want to win and that's the best type of partnership. And the more you win, the better it is for yourself and the better it is for, for a brand partner. So you can never lose you can never lose sight of what's important, um, but there's a lot of a lot of things that evolve from the brand's perspective um, that changes as as the years go on. As you think about other uh, brands you've worked with, could you you know that was a nice Evian story. Could you tell maybe a story about uh, an aspect of that partnership that has really worked for you and the brand? You know, where the point of our discussion today really is to get your perspective as a world class athlete, uh, a celebrity about what is it about a partnership that that you really feel fully a part of that you lean into if you will mm-hmm. that is uh that aligns with your values and what you believe that's what we all want to achieve right so if you could maybe just tell a story of another another brand another company you've worked with which you think is um has been fabulous for you and for them mm. and what was it about that I'll start by saying I think many partnerships that I've formed, the official partnerships that I formed over the years, always started as simple conversations in a room, dinners, lunches, coffees, Mm -hmm. um, having the chance to meet them post-match. They weren't sitting down at a table and signing a contract immediately. And I think just as it is in life, uh, when it's a little less formal, once you get to know people, you start understanding what is it that that they want from you, and do you align with their values? Do you align with their ethos? Do you align with their product? Does it excite you? Is it mm-hmm. is it fun for you? Because you have you don't have a lot of time as an athlete. You only have a certain amount of hours a year, and you know my my manager you know, would have a calendar and he'd have the spreadsheet. And there was only a few days a year where he knew that whoever it was, whether it was an Evian or Porsche or Nike or a Tiffany, this is the only amount of time that Maria has. And where do you slot her in? So, and I know that's such a, it's so rigid, but it is ultimately what makes an athlete successful is if you can follow through with that is if you don't go off script, you don't go off your trail, you know? And, and I think we, as a, a, you know, as a small team did a really good job with that because when I felt, when I went to sleep, I wanted to make sure that I did the best that I did on the court and then everything else flowed with it. A piece of trivia. I was on the board of directors at Motorola years ago when we signed you. And I think that had to be one of your earliest partnerships along was, with Nike. That was the and I first, remember the excitement. Yeah, that was the first the partnership after I won Wimbledon. Yeah. And I remember a moment, um, I flew to New York City straight from that London victory. And I was sitting at a Japanese restaurant. I remember it so well at the counter. And I had the the, the razor phone in my hand yeah, and it was right. pink, my favorite color at the time <laughs> as a teenager. And I remember someone sitting next to me and he looked over and he said to his wife, I wonder how she got, how did she get that phone? And I, and I was sitting down with Max, my manager, and I said, uh, well, he'd have to win Wimbledon to get that. Because <laughs> it was about a week before they launched that phone. And that was, that was the first time where I, I 
I know. I felt like I, I, I got something because of my achievement, you know, where I got early access. It was the first time in a partnership where I got early access to swag that I could brag about at a Japanese restaurant. The razor was great swag back then. It was a huge, and in it pink, was the, I, are you yeah, kidding me? Pink. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't, I, as a board member, I did not get a pink phone. I got a cool black one. So that, which, which worked for it's me. Better than nothing. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we have an audience here of this podcast of a lot of people, but a lot of senior marketers, a lot of CMOs, and a lot of people who, you know, would love to have a really productive partnership with people like yourself. So if you could speak to them, and you're already going there in a way, Maria, about what's your advice to the CMOs of the world and the senior marketing people for creating, finding really terrific partnerships and relationships so that you know, their brand can be relevant in culture, that can have people who believe in them because they work with them. So mm-hmm. what's your advice to them to get the most out of working with people who believe in their brand? First thing that comes to mind is speak to them directly. Mm-hmm. You know, get, yeah. get time with them directly. There is no one that is a better advocate than the athlete themselves. There's no one that will tell you what they can do what they want to do, what they're not comfortable with doing than the individual. And don't use a middleman. Don't use the, the manager. Don't use the stylist. Don't use their best friend. Try to get a little bit of their time. If it's 10 minutes, if it's 15 minutes, you immediately will walk away from that correspondence, that meeting, feeling like I have such a better understanding of this person because no one can paint, you know, I think, being in, in the public eye for so many years, no one will be able to, to paint the exact picture of yourself and people that get a chance to interact with you, that be present in a, in a room with you, that get to, you know, maybe they're not even speaking to you, but they're there and they get to understand your values by how you're saying and understand your body language, um, by your tone of voice. I think that's, that's so important than getting on a call with a manager and them telling, you know, and then discussing how they're going to use Maria Sharapova. Mm-hmm. And I know that's tricky yeah. because, as I said, time is of essence and is so important. Um, but I think that's that's when the best content is created, is when a brand really understands who they're working with. And they're not just putting that person or a face or an athlete, an entrepreneur, a, a activist or a musician into a campaign. They're not slotting it. Yeah. What are some of the brands that you admire these days? I really admire what um, Emily de Glossier. I, um, you know, really, mm-hmm. it's re- incredibly challenging to be a female founder. And as we all know, in, in today's um, venture capital yeah. world. Um, yeah. And I admire women that just go for it, that keep going no matter the difficulties, no matter the the obstacles, um, no matter how many times people, investors um, say no to them, um, there's something about just this resilience in, in women um, that I, I think I've always aspired to. And when I see other women kind of following that path, um, I, I want to support them. I mean, there, there, there are a few brands. I mean, like I, I still, I look at, at the world of of Nike's and, you know, I look at their campaigns and I look at how they're um, positioning their brand and they're elevating their brand and they're taking chances. And, you know, now 
combining digital with with the physical space you're seeing it from brands like Montclair who I joined the board of a few months ago um, to see just the evolution of brands it's not necessarily just what one person is doing but just to see how this world of of brand has evolved um, has changed a lot since I was playing you're a recent board member at Montclair which I saw which is great how how have you enjoyed that I've been on a couple of public boards some of it I love and some of it I don't love so much. How yeah. have you enjoyed the early days? I know you joined with a couple others, so there are a few new board members. Yeah, I joined. Um, we've had a couple of calls so far, and I'm, I'm going to be in person for the next uh, for the next couple. So I, I look forward to that. I'm, I'm unlike I mean, a lot of my friends are enjoying like the video calls, and, and I quite honestly, I get quite tired of them. Like I, I focus yeah. for... You know, a couple hours um, at a time, but board calls can go on for four or five hours. And after, <laughs> after it's several hours, it's, yeah, it's, too much. it's quite, yeah, it just, it just doesn't feel like what it really should be, um, yeah. which is about growth and, and, you know, getting different people from um, different experiences in a room and just elevating a brand. And I know a lot of a, a board meeting is very formal and especially mm-hmm. when it's a public company like a Montclair, Um, so, you know, everything is, is checked and the minutes are all, you know, there you're recorded. So, you know, you don't go off script too much, but, um, I love the creativity of it. I feel like I'm learning so much from, from the people in in the room. And, you know, I take these opportunities sometimes selfishly for myself so I can, you know, keep learning and I can keep growing because I, you never know what you learn in in those several hours from, from others. And of course I, I, they hire me because I want to, uh, I, I can potentially contribute, but just mm-hmm. as much, I, I want to learn and, and, and grow myself, um, so that I can even be better in the next meeting, or I can be, um, I can be more helpful to another brand. You have a tremendous interest in business. And I mean, you've, you went to Harvard for a class when you were, I think on recovery, you've, there's been an HBR case written about you. You're on a board now you started a brand, Sugar Pova. So what's the origin of that, Maria? What, what, what is your passion, your interest, your energy for entrepreneurship and business? Where did that come from? From a young age, I, I realized that tennis and, and being an athlete was actually a very small part of the overall picture. And when I had signed my first contract or when I first won my first Grand Slam, it wasn't very popular to be more than what you are, what you were known mm-hmm. for. It wasn't very popular to be outside of the box. And so when I come home and tennis, there's nothing that I could contribute to my tennis career from home, apart from maybe watching an analytical video. Um, I would sit down and I would, I would read books about, you know, business leaders or how, you know, I remember reading when I was a teenager about how the four seasons started as a company, you know, how, brands develop and how they start. And not because I, I envisioned myself being in the business world, but something about that made me feel like it was a competitive landscape in which I could participate and I could contribute and I could win. And I think as I gained a little bit more knowledge, as I signed a few more contracts and just got, just got a little smarter um, and -hmm. put myself out there and put myself in a room with people that were a lot smarter than me, um, I became a bit more confident and, and made decisions that that weren't very traditional. Like when I started making money and, and felt like I had enough to save up and take a few chances and invest in companies, which at the time when I started doing that, probably 
12, 15 years ago wasn't the thing, right? It wasn't, you don't get advisory shares from a brand at that time. You just get money to show up and be on a billboard. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure where, where that came from, but I was willing to take chances and I was willing to bet on, on a success story 10 years down the line and 20 years down the line because I didn't feel like I needed that immediate reward. You have a portfolio approach to your life now, right? You dabble in many areas. I do the same. I left one company where I was doing one job for many years, Procter & Gamble, and I now have a rich portfolio of things in my life. And I love it because I feel like I'm always learning and they're all sort of related to each other. But it does present challenges in spending time. Mm. So I, I would like to, and our listeners ask a, a lot of questions about how do you decide where you spend your precious time because it's the best Thing we have, right? Mm -hmm. So any insights from you, Marie, on how you decide to spend your time? I read somewhere where you only like to do two calls or two meetings a day. And I love that. I also try to put boundaries around that in my life mm -hmm. as well. But any lessons about how you deal with how you spend your time? I mean, I'm, I'm far, I'm far from perfect in this, um, in this area. Um, but what I do know is I, I lose focus very quickly. And I, and I, I acknowledge that that is a weakness of mine. And when I lose focus, I'm no longer the best mm -hmm. of me. And so I, I can't be present for that board meeting. I can't be present for the call. I can't be present for my family. So, you know, when I said, I only take a couple of calls a day and sometimes that stretches to three, you know, sometimes I have to be there and, or, you know, and, People change my mind, change my perspective, and I actually begin to enjoy the calls. But that's rare <laughs> because yeah. I think all of us are burned out. But I, if there's anything that I learned from, from my career is time is so important. And if you're not, if you have this one, one goal and one mission and you keep going towards it, then everything you do will kind of surround it. And of course, that mentality has shifted for me since, you know, since I retired and then spent a couple of years in COVID, just figuring out what exactly it was, like, what are the commonalities between all the things, as you mentioned, um, you're doing, like, how can you put together all these interests of yours so that they can not just benefit yourself, but benefit everyone that you're working with, right? How can someone dabble the, you know, from from this meeting that you had, how can you take some of those findings, you know, if they're not confidential and bring it over here, mm -hmm. how do you mm -hmm. align two brands to start a partnership? So that's always on my mind and it's very curated and careful, but I, I, you know, since I became pregnant, I also realized that there's a thing called family. And that's also, if not more important than anything else that you're going to be doing as, as a woman, you know, supporting your child and waking up and, working all your business ventures around being a mother. Yeah. What is your fitness routine these days? I mean, oh I know it's changed probably in the last eight weeks, but <laughs> you, you spent- Lifting my child up and down. Yeah, right. <laughs> From one place to another. But I know you're a, big, you're a big health and wellness person. I yeah. I, I mean, health and, and just feeling good about, good about mm -hmm. yourself. When I say, I mean, this category of health and wellness, I feel like has been discussed in, from so many different angles. And, but I've never been someone that said it's all or nothing. Like give me green juice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and work me out. I'll do Pilates. I'll do strength. I'll do a hike all in this one period of time. No, it's very, I, my philosophy on health and wellness is usually like this 80, 20 balance where, 
you know, 80%, you're, you're diligent, you know, that this is what you have to do to have a strong body that leads to a strong mind. And then 20% is you're giving yourself a break because you can't possibly be hundred percent strict and saying no, no, no to this cookie that's in front of you. So I try to keep that, you know, that, that, that philosophy. Mm-hmm. And it's not always easy because come four o'clock, I love a snack. <laughs> I want, yeah. I want something sweet, but then I'll wake up in the morning and I'll put on my uh, fitness stuff. And I'm like, I'm starting my, after I do a feed, I'm going to go and take care of my body because that's important because it ultimately leads to a strong mind. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, but, but I think that determination comes from you know, doing that every single day of my yeah. life for, you know, over um, probably 28 to 30 years. So I understand the importance of that work ethic. And it's like, if I wake up and I, from pajamas, I put on, a, I don't know, a, a dress or sweats, I'll be in that outfit all day long. But if I wake up and I put on my pair of tights and a sports bra, I'm going to want to be out of it in a few hours. So I'm going to go to the yeah. gym. <laughs> I'm going to put in the effort. And then, you know, and then, you know, I'll, I'll do some other things. So it's a huge part of my life, but I, I'm not someone that's all or nothing in this category. Well, we began this conversation talking about tennis. I'm going to end it with tennis. I'm going out to play after our chat here, Maria. So any tips for me, any advice, any motivational? <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Save your joints. <laughs> it's on clay. Okay. Well, that's a little better. Are, do right, you slide well? No, I don't. Uh, I don't okay. slide well, no. but, uh, it's amazing. Well, learned- now everyone slides on hardcore too, I which I, I, no, no, I it's was crazy. Not part of that. Yeah. That I took up tennis later in my life. I love the game. I play almost every day, but I don't slide well. Mm-hmm. So don't slide. That's your advice, huh? I have don't slide or just, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I need to get back out there. It's been several months since I've played. So Maria, thank you for taking time out of your day for this great chat. Our listeners are going to love it. And all the best to you, your new baby, your family. And once again, thanks for all the inspiration over the years. And thanks for this chat. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You have heard the perspective from the brand. You have heard the perspective from the athlete. Now let's talk to the person who makes these connections. Our guest is Max Eisenbud, head of clients and SVP at IMG Tennis, where he works with a who's who of tennis stars, including, of course, Maria Sharapova. We welcome Max Eisenbud to the conversation. Now, this must be a crazy busy time for you. We're speaking as the U.S. Open plays. I have it on my television here in my study. Uh, And you have multiple clients in the competition. And one of your clients, Emma Raducanu, of course, lost in the first round. Max, you've been through that a lot. How do you handle situations like that? When a client is disappointed, I'm sure she was looking forward to a good run. She's an amazing player. I love watching her. Just how do you how do you handle situations like that as a person, as a leader? I think the biggest thing is preparation. I don't think anybody was surprised by that she lost first round after coming back for that year. She was very emotional even coming the first day on, on site. The whole process of what she accomplished was incredible. And to do it from a market like the UK, where the press is just very intense. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of it was just preparation of talking her through it. That, you know, like the worst thing that's going to happen is you go from 10 in the world to 70 in the world. And I think everybody, we tried to frame it for her that like, I think everybody would love in the draw to have this problem. That they won the US Open and then they went to 70 in the world. Emma 
came from literally studying in school to two months later winning the U.S. Open. So when you're skipping steps like that, that's a slippery slope. So I think now she'll go back and, 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 and get back to those steps that she's missed, and, and she's going to be fine. When young people ask you about having a career like yours and entering a career like yours, what, what do you share with them? What do you tell them? Well, that's a good question. I try to, I get a lot of uh, emails from a lot of young people and I really try and, uh, to answer everybody and make time for everybody because I really didn't have much when I was going through it. So hustle is the biggest thing for me. Like you got to be a hustler. That's more important to me than where you got your degree from. Were you doing internships in the summer? Were you working in the athletic department at your school? Were you part of some sports marketing club? Um, so hustle would be the most important. And then I tell people all the time, like, okay, if you want to be an agent, don't just say you want to be an agent. Say, okay, if you want to be an agent in tennis, my, you know, if you're coming out of college, I'm always telling them, try to get a job in tennis first. Uh, you can look if a being an agent is your dream job. Okay, work for that, hustle for that, but expand and try to get a job in tennis because sometimes you can be waiting a long time for that job to be an agent. But if let's say you got a job at the WTA and the ATP, and then during that job at the WTA and ATP, you got to know somebody like myself because you're working for the tour. I have a client, and then I see your work ethic and I get to know you. And then before you know it, you're telling me you want to be an agent, and then. You become an agent maybe three years later because you had that relationship because you're in the sport. And maybe you go work for the WTA ATP and you get to know somebody like me and you're like, oh, my God, that's the last thing I want to do. That guy's <laughs> job. Right. I like yeah. doing something over here. I like doing something over there. So I encourage kids in college who are calling me that to hustle, to turn over every stone and to, to try to land a job in the sport that you want, and then work your way to where you're going. Now let's switch to talking about brand and athlete sponsorships, part partnerships is a better word, uh, which is the theme of this, this episode. You know more about this than most people on this planet. So Max, I'd like to start sort of with big picture. Uh, could you just describe the conditions, the characteristics for an outstanding partnership between an athlete and a brand, a company. That's evolving um, as social media becomes, uh, you know, really important. But I think the most important thing that I'm always looking for is a really good brand fit. Okay. Like when you see Maria Sharapova and you see Evian, for example, that's a great brand fit. If you saw Maria Sharapova in Red Bull, that's not a great brand fit. And people, the people know that. Okay, people know that if Maria Sharapova was with Red Bull, they probably paid her a lot of money to sponsor there. But when you see Evian, or even Emma, who's also with Evian, this is a real brand fit. Um, and I think when you're going through it, and you have stars like Maria and Lena and, and Emma, where they have a huge event and brands are looking to get involved, I always like to look about the brands playing in the in the sandbox together. Um, so if you look at, at Emma's brand portfolio, she's with, uh, you know, she's with Dior. Uh, she's with Nike. Uh, she's British Airways. She's Porsche. And she's Evian, uh, Vodafone. All these brands play in the sandbox together. And if you start putting Monster Energy Drink in next to Dior, doesn't yeah. really, they don't play together. 
So when, as an agent and a marketer, when you're starting to make those decisions, obviously money is an important part of the decision, but it, it but when you start to break it down, it, it, it's not the most, it's not the only thing and how they're going to market you. Um, again, if you go back to someone like Evian, historically, they're not, they don't pay the fees that maybe some other beverages do, but their marketing is just at another level. And that value that you get from their marketing, other brands start to see, and that ends up bringing more opportunities to you. So to answer your question, I think it's trying to find the best brand fit because you're going to do a three-year deal, but your hope is that you're going to make that, like Maria's, I think, been with Evian now 12 years, maybe more. Mm-hmm. You know, that's four three-year deals that we've done with a lot of different people within within Evian that have come and go, but she's continued to go because the brand fit is so good. So I think brand fit for both sides gives you the most chance for longevity. And, you know, the people that you're working with in the brand, you know, do the people up top believe in it? Or is this somebody, it's just, you know, who's the champion within? Because again, as a marketer, you don't want to be with Evian for three years and then you leave and then you're trying to do somebody else. You really want to keep the consistency of, of the brand. So brand fit, I think, is something that's really important. I want to stay with this discussion about Evian and Maria. You know, for this episode, I interviewed Prince Pinnacott at Danone, which of course owns Evian. I, I talked to Maria and she has worked with them for 12 years, and it's just such a good relationship. I asked Prinz what he has to say about it, what his team has to say about working with Maria, and he quickly said, she's just part of our brand team, which is like, whoa. So I'd like you to maybe go a little deeper into that one, Max, you know, how the partnership happened 12 years ago, why it has such longevity, which you've just spoken about, and how you've kept it fresh and innovative and relevant because I, I watch what she does with Evian and it's, it just always seems current, fresh of the moment and interesting. So Maria is, is, Maria is just very special and from a very young age, she understood that when she's on a shoot that a lot of people are spending a lot of money and that she needs to look good and they need to get what they're looking for. And that is, I mean, that happened at a young age, which is very rare. Most people are like, okay, I have to go to shoot. It's eight hours. Can I leave early? And she was, you know, if she had an eight hour shoot and they didn't get what they want, she was staying until they got what she wanted. So she would, you know, meet with the, the directors before she'd understand the concept. She would shoot it and then go look behind the camera and be like, I can do that better. Let's try mm. this. So when you have somebody like this at a young age that gets it, and the brands, they're shooting a lot of different people. And then when they get on a set with somebody like Maria, they're like blown away. Like, wow, okay, this is like a real partner. This isn't somebody who's looking at their watch to try to get out of there. So when you have somebody like that, that started early. Okay, that starts to, you know, you leave the shoot and then the people are going back to the offices and saying, I just shot with this girl, Maria Sharapova. I mean, she's incredible. We were supposed to shoot eight hours. She shot for 10 hours and she was continuing, thought we can do better. and try. So this starts to infiltrate the entire organization. And this doesn't happen with Evian. This happened with all our brands. And I think it's kind of the special sauce of Maria that she gets it. And she wants to look good and she wants the brand to be happy. So... I think that's, you know, something that started very early. 
And then there's a lot of trust between Evian and Maria herself. So when you have that, when they know they have somebody who's a real partner, they've had some iconic campaigns together with the with the babies and and everything. Um, she does so good on social um, because everything's authentic. She's doing it. She doesn't have a social media person that's writing it for her. She does it. And there's been a lot of change over at, at Dannon and Evian through the years. And that's normal at those type of companies. And I think when people come in and get briefed and they see what they've done, everyone continues to be excited. And I think if you go back to it, it's a great brand fit. You know, people just, yeah. you know, when she's out and about, she has her Evian with her at all times. Yeah. And the reason it stayed so strong is you think it's just the partnership, the ideas, bringing Maria in on on how to keep it fresh and innovative. Yeah. And I think, you know, she, the little things when she flew to Evian in France and to the golf event, they had a big golf event. When she went to the, you know, the factory where they're doing, you know, she does things. One, she's smart, you know, mm-hmm. she, she does, she, she's passionate about her brand partners. Um, they've been good to her. Um, and I just think it's, you know, maybe part of her DNA. Yeah. You know, I, I was at PNG many years. We had lots of different partnerships, relationships. I interviewed Maria for this podcast and I could tell in five minutes, she was easy to talk to. She was funny. She was friendly. She was open. It was a fun chat versus a podcast interview. Correct. You know, so and, it says everything. And the fun thing, funny thing is it's the exact opposite of the way she was on the court. Good point. Um, she just wanted to really kick your butt. Um, but the Maria that you got to interview or the Maria that when she's with partners, um, is a different Maria, a very savvy businesswoman. What's the most memorable partnership deal you've ever worked on, Max? Well, I think I'd say Evian has done a lot of the great stuff. I think in the beginning of her career, we had a great relationship with Canon and did some iconic TV ads. I remember. And I think at the end of the day, you know, Nike signed Maria when she was 11 years old. And 2008, when she won the U.S. Open here, they did a campaign called uh, I Feel Pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, campaign or had a great commercial and, and billboards and ads. And I thought that was very cool to work on because it's pretty funny. I remember she got to the, um, she won the quarterfinals. She got to the semis and someone from Nike called me and asked me if I thought she was going to win the tournament. You know, as an agent, you, I'm literally walking back from the lock. I'm like, she's got two tough matches left to, to beat Moresmo and Hennen to go to win the final. She's, you know, 19 years old. So I don't really know the answer to that. He's like, well, we have a chance to purchase the first ad after um, the finals. Um, Immediately after match point, they would go to, they go to commercial and we have a chance to purchase that spot. So what do you think? I'm like, I said two more matches. I'm not going to make that call. (laughs) You guys decide if you think you want to spend your money that way. Okay. Um, and they ended up doing it and she won the tournament and then boom, you know, they add. And I think that's Nike. They're so incredible, right? How they take those risks and, and, um, and that was, I think that was, that was a really iconic, uh, ad. And, and I think they really helped make her a global star. I love that story. And you know, it's 14 years ago. I remember that. Yeah. With a beautiful black dress, the Audrey Hepburn dress and everything. Yeah. And I remember thinking, wow. Nike, how'd they know? Yes, you know? how did so you're they right. know? That's, that's their boldness. That's why they've stayed relevant for exactly decades right. and decades They and decades. took all that risk and, and 
and it all usually works out for them. Max, to the CMOs and senior marketing people listening, and we have a lot of them, what's your advice from your fabulous experience on making the most of partnerships with athletes? You know, what's your message to the CMOs and senior marketers listening? Yeah, I mean, I think to be honest with you, really getting to know the the agents and the teams behind the athletes, that they have this marketing mentality. I think nowadays everybody's an agent, right? But I consider myself a marketer. Um, and if you can get somebody who has an agent who is a marketer, who gets it, who understands that, yes, we're going to negotiate the contract fiercely, that she has three eight-hour shoots and two appearances, but you have a partner in you that knows, hey, we already used our three photo shoots, but our creative team just came to us with an amazing idea and we need another shoot date. And that partner, that agent says, okay, I want to make that happen. And they're not asking you for more money. Mm-hmm. They're doing it because they understand that if their client is doing it, it's going to help them build their brand. So you want to get a great athlete. But if you have, if that athlete has a great marketer behind them that gets it, that's where you start getting three-year deals that become six-year deals and become nine-year deals. And I'm always talking to my players all the time. We need to over-deliver. Yes, it, we were, we're, 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 you all have three shoot dates, but if we, need, if we can give them a fourth, we're going to do it. And if they need an extra appearance, we're going to do it. And if the CEO wants to come sit in your player box, we're going to do it. Like we're only going to say no if, it just, if it's impossible. I think that is really the secret to long success because these athletes are relying on what the agents and the marketers are telling them most of the time. And we have enough power and control to be able to educate our, our clients that this is good for their career and this is why we should do it. I just, you know, don't see many marketers as agents anymore. And I think that if, you know, if they're in between picking this player or that player, maybe who's behind them, who the agent is, who they feel like they can have more success to get what they get done. Because the CMOs, they're making tough decisions and they got to, you know, decide this is where I'm going to spend my money. And if it doesn't go well. So I think the people behind these great athletes should be part of their decision-making. Super advice. And su- and certainly in my experience, that's right on. Absolutely right on. It's about the team. Yeah, really is. Max, thank you for this chat. Thank you for this conversation. It was great fun. Thank you for all you do for these great athletes because I'm totally inspired by them. I'm a tennis fan, tennis player. And, uh, and I'm just watching the open hours and hours every day and loving every minute of it. Thank you. I'm going to go out there now, but Jim, thank you guys so much. And maybe we can play some tennis together sometime. I would love that. Great. Take care. That was our look into sports marketing and athlete sponsorships with Prince Pinnacat, Maria Sharapova, and Max Eisenbud. Three takeaways from this special episode for your business, brand, and life. The first one, brands just simply need to get to know their partners. Maria stressed this so much. No one is a better advocate for the brand than the athlete herself if she believes in the brand and its people. This leads to such a much more cohesive partnership and an effective partnership for everyone. Second takeaway, it's really important that the athlete fits the brand. Max said that he thinks this is the most important thing he looks for. As Max mentioned, Maria Sharapova fits Evian, Maria Sharapova probably doesn't fit Red Bull. Success happens when there is cohesion and shared values between the athlete and the brand. 
And the third takeaway, some career advice from Max. If you want a career in sports marketing, be willing to take any opportunity and just get involved. Show your grit, show your passion for the work, and things will work out. It sure did for Max. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.